But today we're going to talk about the power of words. That words have meaning. Words have meaning. Words can encourage us. They can, they can strengthen us. They can motivate us. But they can hurt us. They can make us feel sad. They can bring us down and discourage us. Words are very powerful. The words we speak really do reflect who we are. So the conversation, the way you present yourself, the way you talk, really is a reflection of what you truly believe and what's in your heart. Words mean something. I'm going to show you a little video clip here about someone speaking words, and I just want you to listen closely to what they say. Please welcome our MTV Generation Award recipient, Will Smith! what I'm trying to build with my family and my friends. I just want all of you to know I'm, de I'm dedicated till I die to light and to love. So thank you all. I'm dedicated till I die to light and to love. So thank you all. In 2016, Will Smith won the MTV Award, Generation Award, and he said, I am dedicated till I die to light and to love. Now, these words are very popular in the world. These words are very popular in our society. But you got to ask yourself, is Will Smith following God? Is he pursuing God the way we would understand pursuing God? God according to the Bible, God according to the Scriptures. Earlier in an Access Hollywood interview, he, he said this. He said that he is a student of religion. I was raised in a Baptist household. I went to a Catholic schools, but the ideas of the Bible are 98% the same as Scientology, 98% the same as Hinduism and Buddhism. 98% the same. Well, let's look at a, the 2% difference. Scientology doesn't believe in Jesus Christ or the Heavenly Father. They simply believe of a supreme being. They believe that people have lived prior lives before this life, that they lived a past life, but they don't call it reincarnation. They just call it a past life that they lived before, and their souls through death have inherited another body. They can call it whatever they want. It's just simply called reincarnation. They also believe that Jesus Christ was simply a man who just taught wisdom. That's it. That's a pretty big 2% difference of what we believe in scripture and what we believe about our God. So the question is, what was Will Smith talking about? I dedicate till I die to light and to love. Now, if you do a search on the internet, light and love, you'll come up with some pretty interesting search results. Here's some of the websites that will pop up in the list of light and love. Guardian Angels blogs. Ask an Angel website, Love and Light Crystals, Angel websites, Spirit Guide websites. These words mean something to the world. And you have all this new age stuff that comes up with Guardian Angel blogs and Spirit Guide websites. But see, to us as Christians, and if we were sitting there, and hopefully we're not attending an MTV Music Awards. But, but if we're sitting in the crowd, we hear light and love. They mean completely different things to us. What does the Bible say in 1 John 1, 5? This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness. 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is is love. To us, these words mean something, but to the world, they're completely different. Light and love. Light and love. I'm going to read to you a prayer. It's a world prayer. It's called the Great Invocation. It may be hard to see up there, but I'm going to read to you what it says. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into the minds of men. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth in the hearts of men. May Christ return to earth. From the center will, from the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide the little wills of men. 
the purpose which the master knows and serve, from the center which we call the race of men. Let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. This is where that popular term comes, light and love. This is where it originated from, and this was back in 1945 by a woman named Alice Bailey. Alice Bailey is the mother, the, the, the founder of the New Age movement in America. And if you want any information on New Age, two weeks ago I preached about being aware. But she's the mother of the New Age movement in America. She was so into this, she even produced a publishing company just to help promote the ideas of what she believed. And the name of her company was called Lucifer Publishing Company. I dedicate till I die to light and to love. Well, in America, back in the 40s and the 50s, Lucifer Publishing Company wasn't exactly a good thing, so they changed their name to Lucent, Lucish Trust, Lucius Trust. But if you notice on their website, what does it say? Let the plan of love and light work out. These words mean something to them. And if you notice in the upper hand, right-hand corner, they have a link to the, that world prayer because the new age really doesn't believe in prayer but this is the closest they can get is this great invocation she mentioned some things in there that if we were just reading this prayer we may not say oh that's kind of a different prayer but but it's not it's not a prayer that we would pray because when she says christ returned to earth she is not speaking about jesus she is speaking about satan she is speaking about Lucifer. And matter of fact, on this website, you will read about Alice Bailey and how she was so interested in the great sacrifice of Lucifer because he came to enlighten us and to take us from our animal mindset into an elevated, enlightened mindset. She was really into Satan. And so when you read about Christ, it was simply Satan because they believe that Satan is Christ. That, that at the very height of perfection, you see Jesus. And at the very lowest of his moral failures, you see Satan. But together they are one, Lucifer. She was greatly influenced by this woman named Helena Blavatsky. Helena Blavatsky wrote a book that influenced her, and she even, Alice Bailey even went to some, some um, lessons to, to, under her teachings to know more about what she believed. And this is what she wrote in one of her books, The Secret Doctrine, in volume two. It says this, It is but natural to view Satan, the serpent of Genesis, as the real creator and benefactor, the father of spiritual mankind. For it is he who has was the harbinger of light, bright, radiant Lucifer, who opened the eyes of people, can only be regarded in the light of a Savior. Now, people just don't come out and say this stuff. But this is what she was into. This is what she believed. And she influenced Alice Bailey, who wrote the great invocation, where the popular terms of light and love come. And now... Years later, many years later, Will Smith is up there saying, I dedicate my life to light and to love. Words mean something. I hope over the last several weeks you're starting to see that ever since Genesis 3, Satan has been doing this, this plan to destroy mankind. Just as he deceived Alice Bailey and, and, and Helena Bolovatsky, just as he deceived them to believe that he is good, and that he's the one that sets people free from the burdens of Yahweh, he is doing the same thing to destroy and to deceive the people of this world. The devil, the devil deceived these women in the very beginning, just like he did Eve in the Garden of Eden, to abandon the loving and the, the forgiving and the, the God who created them. He deceived them to leave. The world we live in today is a world of deception. There is a satanic agenda in the world in which we live. And if we are not aware of the schemes 
that he is doing and the, word, the way he tricks people, we too could become deceived. It is a strategy to mistrust the Bible, to reduce it down to just literature. I remember years ago when I was meeting with someone and, uh, and I, was, I was late and I ended up getting a speeding ticket because I was trying to rush to this meeting. And I said, but it's okay. The ticket was worth it because I need to help this person. They're going through a hard time and I met with them and I was telling them all what the Bible said. And you know what they said? They looked at me and said, the Bible, that's just a book. That's what the devil has been wanting to do since the very beginning. Reduce God's word down to just literature, just the nice sayings, just wisdom sayings. There is a strategy. And this strategy wants to unite all the religions and all the faith and all the things to come together. And they always have one thing missing. Jesus Christ. To lead people away from our Heavenly Father and from the Word of God. The goal is to corrupt, to deceive, to destroy. Now I want you to take into consideration the way Jesus prayed for His disciples. I want you to take in consideration the way Jesus, just before He's ready to leave, and to be crucified, how he prayed for his disciples. Look at what he said in John 17. My prayer is that you don't take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. That you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Jesus knew that the devil would never stop trying to destroy. And what does he do for us? What does he do for his disciples? He says, Father, protect them from the evil one. Jesus knew. Why did Jesus know? Because Jesus was there at the very beginning. What does it say in John? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. With Him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus was there in the very beginning, and He saw what happened in the Garden of Eden. He knows what happened in the Garden of Eden. So if you have your Bible, let's look at what happened in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to read an extended portion of Scripture here. Genesis chapter 3, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat of, from any of the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say... You must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. They, so they sewed fig leaves together to make clothing for themselves, coverings for themselves. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He said, I heard you were in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Genesis 3.1 tells us this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree, any, any tree in the garden? We're going to try to keep our focus here in Genesis. We're going to try to keep our focus as if we were reading this for the first time. Because when we read this, we know the whole story. We know all the details. We know what's going to happen. We know the result of what happened in this moment. But if you were reading this for the first time, imagine if you were there in the ancient times, you would read this and you would not make the conclusions that you would make today. So you see, because later in history, we're going to find out who this serpent is. Later in history, we're going to find out that this serpent is the devil. 
And we're going to find out in the New Testament why Jesus actually came here on earth. And why did he come? 1 John 1.3 says this. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. We know exactly why Jesus came. It was to destroy what the devil had done. To undo what the devil caused to happen here on earth. But today I want to limit our reading, our perspective, just to the book of Genesis. And I will show later on in other passages how we draw and how we understand what is happening here. But today, I simply just want us to read in Genesis. So imagine if we're hearing this story for the first time. In Genesis 1, what do we read? We read that God created the heavens and the earth. In the first three days, God made the heavens, he made the earth, he made water, he made light, he made the firmament, he made the seas, he made the land, he made plants, he made trees, all in three days. And then on day four, God made the sun, the moon, and the stars. And you notice, just just point this out, that the sun, the moon, and the stars came after God created the earth. God said he created the earth and the heavens first. And then he created the stars and the moon, which is completely opposite of what the world teaches us, what science teaches us. Why is that? Because there is an agenda, and I don't care if it's in movies or in education, there is an agenda to belittle and to mistreat what God said, to make the book of the Bible to seem like just a good fairy tale story. It's good philosophy, but it's not science. But yet, this is what God did. And on day five, he created the fish and the birds. And on day six, God created animals. Finally, he created Adam and Eve and placed them inside this garden. And notice what the Bible says here in Genesis chapter one. And God saw all that he made and it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. You notice what it says, that God saw everything. He saw all that he had done. So God looks at this entire thing that he did and says it was good. It was very good. It was very good. This is important because I want you to understand that every animal, every plant, every land, every fish, every bird, every insect, every thing that we don't like, God said it was good. It was very good. Imagine you live in the ancient times and you're there on the internet and you're looking up different things and you come across how the world began and you see that there's this book of Genesis that you want to get a copy of. So you go online on Amazon and you order it and then, you know, because it's free shipping and, you know, the the boat arrives to the port, the guy gets the package, sees it's for you, puts it on his back, gets on his camel, travels across the desert, goes to your house, leaves it at the door, takes a picture, makes sure that it's delivered, and then goes away. And here you are and you're excited. You got this brand new book called Genesis and you start reading this story and you start reading about the creation and you start reading about how everything God did was good. This was good. It was very good. This is exciting. This is beautiful. And then you read about the Garden of Eden and you read about how beautiful it was and how there was this fruit and and everything. God provided everything for the people to live and, and it was so perfect and it was great. All they had to do was just not eat from one tree. But then there was this other tree called the tree of life and then all of a sudden the questions start going through your mind because see you read the first two chapters and these questions start going through your mind and you start asking yourself if God made everything that was good why is there so much evil in this world that we live in God created everything God said it was good why is there evil in this world how come Adam and Eve got to walk around naked without shame and yet I feel shame Even with clothes on, I feel shame. Why? God told them that they were going to rule and reign over these, rule over these animals, yet when I see a bear, when I see a lion, I'm gone. They're not afraid of me. I'm afraid of them. How come? Where is this garden? Can I go see it? Can I I get this fruit that it's talking about? I won't touch the, the one with the knowledge of good and evil. I want the one that provides life. And if I eat this tree, will I continue to have life every time I eat it? Will I get more life? Because remember, you don't know what's going to happen in chapter 3. 
Because the first two chapters are stunning. It's beautiful. And yet, how come when I look out at the world around me, it's nothing like Genesis 1 and 2? How come? Where is this tree? The questions start to flood your mind, and I believe the question that would come front foremost in your mind is this. What happened? What happened? Because, see, the story sets itself up as God did everything that was good. It was beautiful. And, and, and the garden, it was beautiful. They had a job to do. God was with them. What happened? What happened? Then you come across chapter 3. And it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. The serpent. You read this one verse and you stop dead in your tracks. What? <laughs> Wait. I'll tell you when to go. Okay? Team up. Team up. Wait, the one where it's two. Yeah. Okay. Let me get this thing. Let me get this thing. Let me get it. Ah, she took it out. Boom, she took it. Get it. This is how I would react if I saw a snake. But Genesis 3 starts off and it says, Now the serpent. The serpent. A serpent means a snake, a sea serpent, a creature at home in the water, a dragon. That's what this word means in Hebrew, Nahash. But didn't I just read in Genesis 1 and 2 that everything was good? Didn't I just read that God saw everything, including snakes, and said it was good? Why? What kind of snake is this? And, and not only that, what kind of snake could talk? What kind of snake could talk? Because let alone if I saw a snake on the ground, I'm going the other way. But if one started talking to me, I'm gone. I'm gone. Where did this snake get this intelligence? And, and the book of Genesis even says that it was more crafty. It literally means that it was shrewd. It had the capacity for understanding, being clever. It was tricky. And this is what this word in Hebrew means, a room. It means that it was tricky. It was crafty. It had the capacity for understanding. The book of Genesis tells us that there was this serpent, this dragon, this sea monster that contained intellect, understanding, and insight and had the ability to talk. All I know is this. This can't be good. This can't be good. You see, Genesis 1 and 2 is setting everything up as this beautiful place that God did. This is the perfect story if we just stop there. This can't be good. But imagine this. Even if animals could talk, which we know isn't true in our day and age, we know that animals don't talk to us. They respond but they don't talk. They don't have the ability to have a conscious decision and response in speech. But even if the animals could talk, even if this snake could talk, would it actually rebel against its maker? Would it actually rebel against the one who created them? Why was this serpent trying to make this woman doubt God's word? Because God clearly told Adam not to eat from this tree. This is what he said in Genesis Two, and the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any of the tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Why would this snake try to get people made after the image of God to disobey their creator? And the main question that would come up in your head is this. How come Eve did not turn and run? When this serpent came how come she didn't turn and run? This is what we think of when we think of the Garden of Eden. We have this woman that's going to eat this fruit and this snake is talking to her. This serpent. But if you were reading this story for the first time in the ancient setting of, of days of old, 
This is not the picture you would come up with. This is not what you would think of. Because you realize that something is wrong here. Animals don't talk. Animals do not have the capacity to communicate with intelligence. Not only that, this snake, this serpent, had knowledge that even the human beings didn't have knowledge of. He had insight, things that were secret to them. What does this tell us? Well, if you look at the story and you realize what's happening here, you start to realize that God gave, in the first two chapters, God gave breath of life to people. And in the first two chapters, do you know who are the only things that talk? God and people. And then God created all the animals, and they were good, including snakes. And yet, here comes this serpent that can speak. This is not a snake. See, the opening verses of this Genesis is to give you a moment of pause to realize that something is wrong. It's, it's designed to make you suspicious about what is going to happen. Something's not right. Something's not right. It did not say a serpent. It said the serpent. The opening verse is designed to make you pause as you are thinking about the garden. The text is telling us that a particular creature with insight and knowledge entered into the scene and is speaking to this woman. The text is telling us that the serpent, a specific creature, a thing that could have speech, a certain individual came into the garden. And yes, I said individual. What do we know about speaking? Genesis 1-3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God said. We know that God speaks. We know that Genesis 2 tells us that the man said, This is my bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The man said, so far in the story, only God and people can speak. Nowhere in the text do we find animals with the ability to speak with intelligence and insight. Something is off about this snake. And the clue that the text gives us is that it speaks. If you were living in ancient times and you read this story, you would not immediately jump to Adam and Eve talking to a slithering snake you would know something's wrong. That this is a description of something that is not just an animal. We're going to continue in the story of what this animal is, what this snake is. But I want to just pause for a moment and talk to you about speech. Because it really is a good reminder of what God has given us. God has given us the ability of speech. God has given us the ability to communicate our thoughts. It is important to know, just like Proverbs 18, 21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The way you speak will shape the way you think and the way you see yourself. The way you speak is the way you will think about yourself and the, the believability in yourself and if you're always putting yourself down, if you're always saying, I'm stupid, I should have did, that was dumb, man, I, I just can't get anything right. I guarantee you, you will always live a life doubting yourself. You will always be double guessing what you've done and the decisions you made. You'll never believe in yourself if you don't speak it. Because what does Proverbs 18 says? That there is power in life, the power of life and death in the tongue. And everyone likes to quote that part, but you notice what the next part says. Those who love it will eat its fruit. You're going to eat the results of your speech. You're going to live the results of what you say. Some of you may not be happy with life. And it's evident in the way you speak. Some people may not have everything in life, but they're happy. Why? Because it's the way you speak. It's what you believe. Proverbs 12.14 says this, for the, from the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things. 
and the work of the hands bring them reward. From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things. Don't waste your words speaking things that are negative. Don't waste your words planting seeds that are negative. Plant goodness over your life, over your family. Say good things. And if you, if you can't muster that inside of you, if you can't generate that kind of true, positive speaking, and I'm not talking about being fake, okay? Because there's a lot of people out there that tell you, oh, you just got to say it and claim it and name it and claim it and all this stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just repeating what is in your heart, saying what you really believe. When we go through hard times, when we go through times of discouragement, I am always speaking words of life into me. I am speaking what God has promised me. Why? So that I hear it. I am not in some false reality where I just go around and say, I'm a good man, I'm a good man, I'm a good man. But I don't call myself stupid. I don't call myself dumb. I don't call myself someone who's not successful. Why? Because I know that my God has promised that he would be with me every step of the way. I know and I proclaim what he says and I speak that over my life. Every morning I try. I try my hardest to always pray for myself. I do. And I will pray, Lord, give me wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, all kind of skill sets. Give me anointing. Give me favor and bless me according to the promises that you've given me. I pray that. Why? Because I don't want to speak negativity in my life. Because if I speak negativity in my life, I will live negative. Speech is something that God gave us in Genesis 1 and 2. It shows us the power of what happens when you say something. Even Jesus tells us this. This is what Jesus said. A good man in Luke 6. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks. What you say is the result of what's inside of your heart. It is something that you must always be aware of. And if you fill your mind with doubts, you're always going to doubt. If you fill your mind with anger, you're always going to be angry. If you fill your mind with complaints and bitterness and grumpiness, you're always going to be someone who will complain, always going to be someone who's bitter, and always going to be someone who speaks doubt in their life. Speech is important. Sometimes my wife will correct me. We went out on a date the other day. And I said, baby, where do you want to go? McDonald's or Burger King? And she said, Outback Steakhouse. I said, no way. No way. And I looked at her and said, I ain't got no. She goes, you got everything. You got Jesus. Okay. Well, guess what happened? Someone called me up, needed help with the computer. I fixed it. They said, how much do I owe you? I said, absolutely nothing. They said, no, I'm going to give you something. You take your family out. You take your wife out. Okay. So what did I do? I went in the car and I said, Lord, I got everything. I have you. So even, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I always say the things. My wife has to correct me. The Lord has to correct me. My kids correct me even though I tell them they're always wrong. No, I'm perfect. But the thing is, it's important the way we speak. Why would I speak fear and doubt and complaints when that's not what I believe? And if I am speaking those things, Jesus tells us it's because that's what our heart's full of. It's full of fear. It's full of doubt. full of worry. But if your heart is full of good things, you're going to speak good things. And this is why Jesus said this in Luke 11. He said this. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say. When you pray, you close your hands, you close your eyes, and make sure you're very silent before the Lord. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, when you pray, say. Speak it. Speak your faith. Speak your faith. It is very important for us to do what Jesus said. Say it. Say it. I'm going to give you a final example here about the power of speech. In the book of Hebrews, there's a chapter in there, chapter 11, called the, the, the 
chapter of faith. And it has all the great characters in there, you know, people of faith like Noah and Abraham and, and Moses and Gideon and Samson and David. I mean, you got these warriors that just have faith. You know, we read this chapter, and we get jealous. It's like, come on, I want that kind of faith. But there's one name that's in there that always bothered me. One character that they list in there, and I'm thinking, this guy has never done anything. His dad did great things, but this guy, nothing. Why is he in the book of faith? God, put me in the book of faith. I got more faith than this guy. I've done more than this guy. No one would make a movie after this guy. No one would write a novel after this guy. Who is he? Well, his only claim to fame is that his father tried to kill him. His name is Isaac. Remember God told Abraham, go sacrifice your son. He goes up there. Isaac. Think about it. What did Isaac ever do? Why is he in the hall of fame of faith? Simply because it says this. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. He spoke it. So you remember the story. Isaac is getting old and he's about ready to die and he wants to bless his son, Esau, his firstborn. Esau was a man of the field. Esau was a manly man. He liked to fish. He liked to hunt. I mean, he smelled like the outdoors. Jacob, Jacob liked to stay next to mom and cook. You know, so, so Jacob was a mama's boy and Esau was the man. And, uh, and, and so Isaac wants to bless Esau. So he calls up Esau and says, Esau, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go in. I want you to go hunting. And I want you to go in. You know, you find me just some game and you make it up. Make my favorite dish. Bring it to me. And when you come back, my son, I'm going to bless you. And Esau says, okay, that's great. I'll do it. So the problem was, Rebecca overheard this conversation, so she tells, I, she tells Isaac, hey, listen, you go get me a goat. I'm going to cook up this meal, and you're going to get your brother's blessing. And Isaac says, I can't do this, because if I do this, I'll be cursed. And, I, and Rebecca says, don't worry about that. It's all on me. I'll take care of it. So they come up with this plan. They get the goat. She makes the meal. She dresses him in this goat outfit because Esau's very hairy. She puts on Esau's clothes on him, and, and he goes in, and he presents the meal, and he says, Dad, <clears throat> Dad, uh, the, the, here's your food. And he's like, how come you're so quick? Well, the Lord gave me favor, and I'm a good shot, Dad. You know, he says, huh. He goes, you sound like Jacob, but, but uh, okay, come here. And so he goes and he feels them. Oh, man, this guy's hairy. Why? Because they put the goat skin on him, and he's all hairy. And then he says, come kiss me, son, and he kisses him. And as he was kissing him, he gets the smell of his clothes. He goes, ah. The smell of the fields, this is my boy. And Isaac begins to bless Jacob, blesses him. And then after the blessing is done, quickly gets out of there, and this is what happened. Esau, too, prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. And he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me my, my blessing, give me your blessing." His father Isaac asked him, who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted the game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed. Isaac believed that his words matter. Isaac believed that what he spoke in faith was going to come to pass and he said that son your brother is going to be blessed. Indeed, he will be blessed. I want us to be people who speak good things. I want us to be people not speaking things just because we want to feel better or we want to have some, some self-help guidance. No, I'm talking about speaking the truth that you are favored of God because you're his child of God, that you are highly favored, you're loved, and that you are forgiven and that you are redeemed and that you are pure and you are innocent because of what Jesus has done. I'm not going to speak negativity. I'm not going to speak past failures. I'm going to speak what the word of God says about me, that I have been given the ability to do all things through Christ because he strengthens me. I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to speak because God has given me the ability of speech and he's given you the same thing and you can either bring life or death into your life by the words that you choose but if you're here today and you say man i want to but i just 
complaints come out or anger comes out or bitterness comes out or jealousy comes out, then you need to take care of what's in the tank. You need to take care of what's inside. Jesus said that a good man brings the good things out of the heart. He brings it because he stores it up in there. You keep putting it in there. You keep building and building and building. I'll tell you this. God took us through this this time where all we had was faith. All we had was hope. And we kept believing and kept trusting. And everything around us failed time and time again. We never had enough. We were always behind. We were always lacking. Always going through hardships. But we never once doubted God's promises. And in our prayer time, we would speak what he promised God you said God you said God you promised God you said there's so many times I would try to be uh, the devil would try to discourage me and just try to bring me down you know what I do I'd get my finest clothes and I would sit in my office and I would look sharp praying to the Lord why because if you look good you're going to feel good I was doing whatever I could but I wasn't going to speak negativity I wasn't going to speak oh Pete you're a failure You shouldn't have done that. Look at what you're putting your family through. Look what you're doing. No. There are times where my kids needed things from me, and I couldn't provide. You know, that hurts as a man. That hurts when you just can't provide the simple things. It hurts. But I would look in the mirror, and I said, you are called by God, and he has made you into the father, the dad that he wants you to be, and you will be the best dad you can. You go on through, you do whatever you can. For your kids. You speak it. But it has to be stored up. It has to be in there. So how do we put good things in our heart? I want to just tell you this. You must spend time with the Lord. You must spend time in His Word. You must be people of prayer. Saying your prayers. Speaking your prayers. Believing your prayers. Reading God's Word and Speaking that over my life, over your life. Psalm 91. Because Pete loves me. This is what I would say when I would read Psalm 91. Because Pete loves me, I will show him my favor. You got to speak it. Paul even gives Timothy this motivation. He says this, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. He said, set an example on how you speak. Set an example on how you speak. We must be people who practice speech. Now, it doesn't just change overnight. Because when we are used to complaining, we'll always complain. But you just got to keep pouring it in. You just got to keep getting God's word in your heart. You just got to keep get, letting God just, just begin to fill you up, fill you up, and eventually you know what's going to come out? Good things. Good things. This is why I, I'm asking you to understand that we are going through a time where the devil is trying to fill us with things that are not of God. Trying to fill us with things that are leading us away from him. Why? Because he knows that if you start putting good things in your life, he doesn't have power over you. He doesn't have control over you. He doesn't have the ability to make you stumble or tempt you the way he can normally or the way he normally would. That you're going to fight it. You're going to resist it. Why? Because you're getting close to God. And you're starting to speak like the creator. Speak it. What are you doing with your speech? And this is the challenge for us. What are you doing with your speech? God has given you the ability to, to sing, to talk, to vocalize our expressions, our heart. What are you doing with your words. I pray that you would speak good things. 